0: Welcome to the conkey Ride Home for Thursday, September 16th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, how the social lives of characters from Jane Austen novels are analogous to our digital ones today, and what we can learn from them about being overstimulated. Plus, a study illustrating how we could build bases on Mars out of astronaut blood. And a couple of updates from the world of Lego. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Early in 2020, crucially before the pandemic kicked off in earnest here in the U.S., in her Digital Voyage column at JSTOR Daily, tech writer Alexandra Samuel reflected on a recent rereading of a few of Jane Austen's novels. In particular, she shared parallels she had noticed between our current social media-tinged lives and the social lives of Jane Austen's Regency-era characters. Samuel points to the quote, sheer volume of social interaction required of both English gentry and social media users. End quote. She cites their month-long visits with one another in addition to a daily practice of calling, which Samuel quotes fellow scholar Candace Nolan Grant as describing as a convention in which you would visit someone's household for at least 15 minutes, and if they weren't there, you'd leave a card, and the person that you visited or tried to visit would be obligated to host you and to return the visit, all this a means of furthering or not social engagement. Quoting Samuel, I soon found myself wondering how the inhabitants of Austin's world put up with this constant pressure to socialize, until I realized that we face just as much demand for interaction, albeit in digital form. Austin's characters may face a non-stop parade of callers, but at least they don't have to deal with Facebook friend invitations and an endless series of requests to connect on LinkedIn. Of course, if our inboxes are overflowing, it's because we've followed the many admonitions to build up our professional networks and attract social media fans. This is another way in which social media replicates the dynamics of Austin's world. Both place great emphasis on the value of introductions, and both quantify the value of each new friend or connection, end quote. And that value, among the English gentry at the turn of the 19th century, was in actual wealth— the exact numbers of their incomes and size of their estates. Sounds taboo for many of us today to think we'd be openly gossiping about or judging people based on their exact salaries, but Samuel points out, we totally do this with followers. and Regardless of how you feel about it, we've been trained to view high follower counts or high engagement numbers as a sign of some sort of success, even if it's one we see through or disagree with. Quoting Samuel, Considering how many people seek to monetize their social media followings, we can't delude ourselves that we are superior for naming our friends metrics rather than their money. End quote. But there's one thing common on social media today that was decidedly not happening among Jane Austen's characters and their real-world counterparts. Oversharing. It was an era of intense propriety. Couched in politesse and virtue, the insistence on propriety was really steeped in efforts to uphold certain power structures and prevent people from gaining knowledge about certain actions or options in life. Nonetheless, the effect was that Austen's characters frequently retreat to their bedrooms to get some alone time. Quoting again, "...shut away from the world, they spend hours in private contemplation of whatever they dare not discuss with even their most trusted friends and relations." These constant retreats into self constitute the most significant difference between Austin's world and ours. People spend so much time quietly sitting and thinking, if only because there's nothing else to do. Without Netflix, Words with Friends, Twitter, and after hours email, your choices boil down to play cards, do needlepoint, go for a long, invigorating walk, enjoy the occasional ball. All the useful, busy stuff is handled by the implicitly massive cast of near invisible servants, and the useless, busy stuff hasn't been invented yet. End quote. Samuel notes that some scholars have identified a sort of ennui-caused depression in the wealthy women of Austen's novels, and she's close to being grateful for the entertainment and information we now have at our fingertips until she remembers, quote, "...how Emma is transformed by a process of quiet reflection, or how Eliza Bennett is restored by a half-hour alone in her room." For all the parallels between their busy sociability in drawing rooms and ballrooms and our busy sociability via social networks and SMS, their dull and proper society afforded them a respite that ours does not. End quote. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Are we less reflective these days than we used to be? And if so, what are the consequences of that on society writ large? I mean, think about it. How many moments are there when you whip out your phone just to fill the time? Like when you're waiting in a long line, or for a bus to arrive. When you've found yourself with a few spare moments in between tasks. When you're waiting for the friend that you're meeting to arrive, or just to return from the bathroom while you're dining together. Sure, maybe before phones we would have books, newspapers, or Walkmans with us, but not always. You know, There was a lot of time where you were just kind of there. Filling time by watching the world around you. And maybe this is one reason why people used to smoke more. It was something to do with your hands, something to make you look like you had a purpose standing alone outside a building, in the same way that many of us self-consciously pull out our phones now, so we don't look so strange just standing there. But if all those solo moments are now filled with jacking ourselves into a digital vortex of other people's opinions, how much have we lost those retreats into self? How much are we just regurgitating the constant fuel of endorphin-spiked stimulation without ever pausing, stepping away from the echoing clamor and judgment of the filtered-bubbled masses to really examine how we as individuals at our core think and feel about a given topic? I know this is a sentiment that has been repeated ad nauseum over the years, and every time some new technology takes off that threatens to poison our minds and hypnotize us with bread and circuses. And that's kind of the point of this Jane Austen piece, right? That we can look back at nearly any time and find a similar yearn for less distraction and more purposeful thought. I mean, even Samuel notes that the alone time and retreats into self that the Austen characters indulged in were rare in reality. They were something that Austen thought would be beneficial to women of the era, as a prescriptive to their overloaded social calendars, but not actually an activity that was frequently or easily come by. The tug and pull does feel a little different now, though. You know, it's not just that people are watching TV in the evening instead of going to a local bowling league. It's that people have 24 access to a ticker tape of social media, messages, and news wires never having to be alone if they don't want to be. And while the kinds of us who listen to podcasts and do work on our computers have had our lives inextricably threaded with the internet for years... An interesting consequence of the pandemic is that a not insignificant subset of people who weren't using the internet very much at all had to start using it. Whether it was their job requiring them to learn some new software or maybe giving them a device they hadn't had before, or a family member teaching them how to FaceTime or signing them up for social media. And then with less to do recreationally outside of the home, they used their new skills or access to new devices or platforms in their downtime to explore new things, find new communities. And some of that's been great. But with more people who maybe used to have more in-person conversations with people of differing viewpoints and maybe also had more downtime for self-reflection, now joining the rest of us as near-permanent residents of super-siloed cyberspace, we've also increasingly seen the negative side effects that can occur. The misinformation, the disinformation, the addled sense of reality... And I'm not saying that more people, more online than before is the only cause of the surge of conspiratorial thinking right now, and I'm not saying that alone time to reflect away from social media feeds is the only solution. I'm not sure exactly what I'm saying, to be honest, in part because despite the way I've intentionally organized my screen to minimize distractions while I write, there's still a lineup of suggested articles alongside this Jane Austen one that keep diverting me from finding that elusive kernel of a conclusion. But who knows, if I were a wealthy gentleman in Regency-era England trying to write a manuscript alone in my parlor, maybe I could become just as distracted by a crack in the wall I'd never noticed before, the footsteps of a servant in the corridor, a rush of wind outside that knocks over a bucket outside the window. Though I suppose none of those would be leading me down a potentially endless rabbit hole that begins with five behind-the-scenes secrets about Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy— The distractions feel more unavoidable, more all-consuming, more pernicious than in previous eras, with previous technologies or customs. But maybe that's just how every generation eventually feels, once the golden luster of the innovations of their youth has rubbed off. And on that note, let's take a break to hear from our sponsors. Imagine if your favorite casino came with an undo button. That's exactly what you get with FanDuel Casino's Play It Again. Get up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. Play your favorite table games in hundreds of slots for real cash and see for yourself why FanDuel Casino is the number one rated online casino app. Explore daily and weekly promotions. Play with live dealers. And if you ever have a question, our best-in-class customer support team is here to help 24-7. Sign up for FanDuel Casino at fanduel.com slash PA3 today and play it again with up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. 21 plus and present in Pennsylvania must not have previously placed any wager on FanDuel Sportsbook, FanDuel Casino, Betfair Casino, Mohegan Sun Casino, or Stardust Casino. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable casino online site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. Well, here's something they certainly wouldn't have been discussing in the Regency era for a whole host of reasons. A team of scientists have test-driven a method of building bricks on Mars using the astronauts' literal blood, sweat, and tears. And urine. This comes from a study published Monday in the journal Materials Today Bio by a team from the University of Manchester, although over a year ago, I reported on a similar development from a multinational European team for using urine mixed with moon dirt to create geopolymers. This new study expands to three other bodily fluids, with a focus specifically on Mars, although their paper says the method could work with regolith from either Mars or the moon. Quoting Vice. The researchers created test versions of this material, which they call Astrocrete, that include the protein albumin from human blood plasma as well as urea, a compound in human sweat, tears, and urine. Astrocrete would boost the compressive strength of regolith blocks by more than 300% and could be 3D printed on Mars according to the team's calculations and experiments. The new research also estimates that a crew of Martian astronauts could produce about 500 kilograms, or 1,100 pounds, of these blood bricks within a two-year period, providing an ongoing source of construction material for long-duration missions to Mars, end quote. That's a pretty high estimate for production, because skeptics, both of this and the previous study that focused just on urea, frequently bring up that there probably just won't be enough human byproduct for this process to even be worth it. By expanding the biological uh, donations from the astronauts, this team is able to up the estimated production levels, but critics still worry about the risks of giving plasma in a low gravity environment. And I suppose trying to make each other cry so that you can extract urea from your crewmate's tears is probably unethical as well. But never fear, the Manchester team is looking into how to use other parts of the astronauts. Quote... Other in-situ human resources, such as hair and nails, keratin, dead skin cells, collagen, mucus, urine, and human feces could also be exploited for their material properties on early extraterrestrial colonies, the team said, adding that, unfortunately, due to health and safety concerns, we were unable to explore human feces-based extraterrestrial regolith biocomposites in this study, end quote. Aw, darn. Darn. The point of trying to expand what can be built with resources extant on the Red Planet is to limit how much the crew tows along with them. You know, it's a long trip and every ounce matters in the payload. So the more that can be constructed with whatever they can create there, the better. To that extent, the study authors noted, in a line that could easily be confused with a tenant of the Donner Party, quote, There is one significant but chronically overlooked source of natural resources that will, by definition, also be available on any crewed mission to Mars. The crew themselves. End quote. Speaking of creative forms of construction, I've got a couple of pieces of LEGO news for you today. First, the five hosts of Queer Eye are officially being immortalized as LEGO minifigs. The Fab Five are part of a 974-piece set that includes a recreation of their loft headquarters, seen in the first two seasons of the Netflix original, and a sixth minifigure of Jonathan Van Ness's high school teacher, Kathy Dooley, one of the more memorable heroes featured on the show. The Fab Five collaborated with Lego directly on the new set, which takes advantage of Lego's DIY mix and match to give Dooley, or whomever, transformative makeovers though one of the minifigs got his own special treatment. While most of the loft set and minifigs are made up of existing LEGO elements with just a little brush and shine to resemble the set and individuals, one of the hosts required some extra attention. Matthew Ashton, VP of Design at the LEGO Group, revealed that they had to design a whole new wig element in order to do justice to tan France's gravity-defying silver hair. The set, which contains ample accessories and Easter eggs, will be available globally on October 1st. In other LEGO news, remember how the medals at the Tokyo Olympics this year were made out of recycled e-waste, mostly cell phones? Well, Germany, host of the 2022 European Championships, a sort of Europe-only version of the Olympics that had its first event in 2018, has put out an official call for people to donate Lego bricks, which they're going to use to construct wheelchair ramps around the venue. Now, if you're imagining a cool, functional ramp made out of recycled LEGO brick material like I was, I'm sad to report that the LEGO ramps will just be for looks. They'll have actual functioning ramps throughout the venue. The LEGO ones are being built to raise awareness about the need for more accessible infrastructure, which is for sure cool and necessary, though I still kind of wish they'd figured out a way to make the actual ramps out of recycled LEGO. But I digress. The Munich Hosting Committee has a goal of 22,000 LEGO bricks that they want to collect by the end of this month, and have so far only collected 1,500 according to their website, so spread the word, and if you're anywhere close, check the link in the show notes for where you can ship some to donate. And they're also holding an event on October 10th in which people will be welcome to join in the constructing of the ramps that will be showcased at the European Championships in August of next year. So, Governor Jared Polis of Colorado is no stranger to being the first. He was the first out gay man elected to the U.S. House of Representatives as a non-incumbent back in 2008. Ten years later, he became the U.S.'s first out gay man elected as governor. And now, after a small ceremony yesterday, he and his husband Marlon Reese have become the first same-sex couple married while one is a sitting governor. The couple have been together for 18 years, but same-sex marriage has only been legal in Colorado for seven and around the nation for six. Though Reese has been considered the first gentleman of Colorado for Polis' tenure, they decided to make it official in part due to lessons learned about the ephemerality of life during the pandemic. In other first news, Carl Clemens Hopkins has become the first openly non-binary actor to be nominated for a Primetime Acting Emmy Award. Clemens Hopkins stars as Marcus on the HBO Max show Hacks, for which they earned the Best Supporting Actor nomination, begging the question, of course, when the Emmys and the other Big Four award shows will do away with gendered awards, or come up with other solutions as more and more non-binary actors and filmmakers are hired and recognized. The MTV Movie and TV Awards did away with gendered acting categories in 2017, and the Berlin Film Festival did the same earlier this year. The Grammys also haven't had gendered categories for a decade. There's certainly an argument to be made that having gendered categories helps with gender parity and keeps the nominees from being entirely men. But as Melissa Silverstein, founder and publisher of Women in Hollywood, told NPR over the summer, we really need to make the whole industry more equitable and gender parity and awards will follow commensurately from there. But regardless, congratulations to Carl Clements Hopkins on their nomination and to Marlon Reese and Governor Jared Polis on their wedding. Just a little good news to end the day for you there. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.